This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. Welcome to episode 396 of the Yellow World Pod. I'm your host, Stefan Butzko, and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's 3-1 win away to Arminia Bielefeld and, of course, the very uneventful 2-0 cup win against FC Ingolstadt. And we will preview a harrowing matchup against SFC Köln. Isn't that exciting? For all that and more, joins me Matthias Zug. Hello, Matthias. How are you doing? I am doing well, Stefan. How are you? I'm doing fairly well myself. Uh, I thought it was uh, sort of relaxing uh, to watch Dortmund in the last couple uh, days. You know, especially the, the Ingolstadt match was like a nice little snooze fest, just what I needed, uh, because all the uh, <laughs> action in the DFB Pokal was provided elsewhere. But maybe more on that a little later. Um, in the meantime, though, we do have a sponsor. Wir sind komplett schuldenfrei. Wir zahlen keinen einzigen Euro an Zinsen. And this episode is sponsored by the Borussia Dortmund Fan Club. London podcasts for the BVB perspective from the island can be found at macfagin.podbean.com. I will put the link in the show notes. Um, their latest episode is with BVB fan and book author Bruno Reker. So go check that out. If you want to sponsor an episode, go to patreon.com slash the yellow wall for more information. And now, Matthias, it is time for you to tell me what happened in Bielefeld on the Alm. Or at the Alm, I don't know, auf der Alm. <laughs> yeah, I guess it would be on the Alm, um, which is not a, not a bad little stadium, actually. Um, you can always get a nice little walk when you when you get there through through the different neighborhoods in Bielefeld. It's a neighborhood stadium. It's very interesting. It's not in the middle of the city. Not that Bielefeld's a big city, but it's kind of on the outskirts in the suburbs. Yeah, just like the Westfalenstadion. Um, it's also a neighborhood yeah, yeah. stadium. It I is. Mean, it is. When, in my, my flat in Dortmund, it's literally walkable distance. You know, that's a six, seven minute walk. So, uh, so it's in my neighborhood at least. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but Dortmund, maybe a little bigger than Bielefeld, because Dortmund does exist. Right. But, uh, I mean, Bielefeld definitely did exist <laughs> against Borussia Dortmund. It does exist. <laughs> it does, yeah. Um, it was kind of a match as to be expected. Um, Marco Rose following your advice in terms of lineup, in fact, 100% what uh, you had mentioned on the previous episode. Well, I, and, I, I need to, I need to uh, mm -hmm. clarify things. There needs to be a disclaimer here. I correctly guessed the lineup. Marco Rose does not take any advice from, from me at all because I do not want to be held responsible for Erling Haaland's injury. That's all on him. Not not me, the Yellow Airport host. I have nothing to do with that. There's no connection. I just if there are two dots and you connect them, unconnect them. Okay? I'm I'm innocent and I was just lucky. That's it. I mean I mean you just you did say that your flat and dot one is walking distance to the stadium, so I think we can connect the dots. 
Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but it, you know, at the beginning, it was a little uncomfortable for Dortmund. You could kind of see that they were getting used to each other. Um, Pongracic almost <laughs> delivering Bielefeld a goal. Uh, but he actually then was the one with the decisive block in the end. So, I mean, he well, did Dortmund track Jan, back. Dortmund and, legend Yannis Serra uh, uh, not yes. delivering here. Is, uh, no. It's 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 kind of funny that on, on both ends there were uh, former Dortmund players that sort of delivered for Dortmund. On the one end it was Yannis Serra who, yes, he had the the turnover against Pongracic, but that's, couldn't, couldn't finish, probably should have, arguably, uh, a must if you are Arminia Bielefeld, because there are not that many chances that present themselves on the other end. I think, uh, was it Pieper who gave away the penalty, or was it, I think it was Robin Huck, actually. But almost Pieper also had a couple of uh, mistakes. Anywho, uh, yeah. yeah. In, in interesting yeah. Uh, interesting uh, situation by Pongracic. So, uh, when... Uh, yeah... It was it was uncomfortable. You could just tell he wasn't he wasn't comfortable. <laughs> I mean, it, but then what really made a big difference was when Dortmund's best central defender Manuel Akanji was moved to the center of the back three, and then it got much 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 better. Uh, Dortmund were significantly more solid. Uh, the build-up play was much better. Uh, there was more energy in the side. And, you know, the other advantage that Dortmund had is that uh, former Schalke player Alessandro Schöpf plays for Bielefeld, and he can score about as many goals for Bielefeld as he could for Schalke uh, <laughs> because he also had a pretty good look at goal. I want to say it was in the second half and completely fluffed it and fell down and just... Yeah, it was it was not a good look from the former Schalke player. But I think overall, uh, Dortmund definitely deserved to win the match. I mean, there's oh, yeah. no doubt about that. Um, you know, uh, you could... It's kind of one of those situations where, yeah, Dortmund got another penalty. That's okay. Um, but overall, I, I don't think anybody can really complain about the results um you know uh Kama the head coach for Bielefeld said we had five or six clear opportunities hmm. I think that's a little generous um if we would say clear opportunities overall um Bielefeld did have a lot of shots uh they had 16 shots overall they actually outshot Dortmund but they it wasn't necessarily that they had five or six clear opportunities. I, I will give them two, uh, not including, obviously, the goal that they scored at the end, uh, which was, of course, a penalty and ruined my scoreline prediction, uh. which I'm still very, very annoyed about. But Dumont dominated the match. They won most of the, uh, the tackles. They had almost 70% possession. But what was interesting, Bielefeld did have seven corners versus Dortmund's two. So it was, it was an odd game of Dortmund deserved victory and dominance. But Bielefeld were in the game and I think played well enough for a team that nobody really expected to win this match. Uh, but we have to say, Mats Hummels and Jude Bellingham, <laughs> you know, when Hummels scored his goal, I was like, okay, that is the goal of the season. And then Bellingham 
was like, no, 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 no. this is going to be the goal of the season. <laughs> and then we just have to wait for Holland to come back. He's going to do something ridiculous. But um, Hummels and Bellingham both with absolutely fantastic goals. Yeah. I, I mean, it was interesting to see that um, the penalty was taken by Amr Can. Uh, he told Marco Reus that he just felt he had a good feeling and I think it was slotted away calmly. I <laughs> when I was watching this, I was like, oh God, he's just going to like hoof it out of the stadium. Uh, but no, uh, really uh, calmly taken penalty. Um, and I don't know. I, I've seen people that said this was a very soft penalty, but I disagree. I think that Huck sort of got two players fouled at the same time, uh, including Marlon. And uh, to me, that was a pretty clear cut penalty. And uh, Absolutely. So uh, at, at this point, I think the lead was also deserved. Marlon had uh, already a couple of good chances beforehand. And uh, overall, um, just quickly to revert back to the lineup, um, the back three and then having Marius Wolf and Torgen Hazard as uh, the wingbacks, um, I thought this had Dortmund's structure immensely um, because Dortmund... I think they ended up with 69% uh, possession. It, it was a little higher for most part of the game, but in the end, uh, Bielefeld uh, gained some more ground in, in that regard. But I, I felt like um, the passing angles that Dortmund needed to retain the ball and not lose the ball in silly places uh, like Pongracic did, but I feel that that's more of an individual mistake because he just wanted to dribble forward and just took risk and was not rewarded. But otherwise, um, I think that... Um, this was a good systematic switch to sort of uh, account for the lack of playmakers on the field like Guerrero and, of course, like Haaland. So um, I'm uh, fairly happy uh, the way this whole thing uh, panned out. I thought that uh, Bellingham obviously had a had a massive game. Julian Brandt looked fairly good and even Emre Can had a good match. So, um, you know, Reus and Malen obviously... Uh, Especially Marco Reus is, uh, I, I think, right now in a really good form. Marlon uh, had definitely a better game than he did have uh, in Amsterdam, uh, which I guess was important. Um, but yeah, I really hope that he would uh, get a goal um, in the absence of Erling Haaland, which uh, I don't know, might be for the rest of uh, this year, which uh, is obviously devastating news for Dortmund. And uh, of course... It was enough to beat the likes of Bielefeld and Ingolstadt, but I don't know if it's going to be enough to beat uh, other teams. Last time uh, Haaland missed, uh, it was Lucien Favre's end of the stint. So we'll see how Dortmund make up for him now, but uh, I'm not uh, all that jazzed about it, to be honest, because I feel like this injury might have been somewhat preventable. I feel like you should have and must have given him uh, more minutes of rest and maybe not start him in every game in every si situation. Uh, you know, he is, uh, unlike Robert Lewandowski, not married to a uh, uh, karate Olympian <laughs> who knows exactly uh, how to uh, treat his body so that he doesn't pick up uh, several injuries because, uh, you know, I think Anna Lewandowska plays a major part in the role of uh, her husband being all-time fit and ready. And Erlang Haaland does not have this ace up his sleeve, if you will. Um, so I think uh, Dortmund needs to be much more careful with him. I think that Marco Rose said something along those lines that they will leave no stern unturned in uh, you know, making sure that uh, the injury malaise uh, going forward will uh, abate. 
So yeah, that's something obviously I'm looking at uh, that Dortmund need to correct because if you have a world-class superstar amongst your ranks, you know, I just saw a commercial on ESPN uh, for ESPN Plus or the Disney bundle or whatever it was. And, uh, you know, there were highlights from all kinds of sports that are featuring in ESPN. And, uh, you know, there was only one or two soccer references and one of them was Erling Haaland. So um, just... For for a broad American audience, uh, I I feel like that really messages you how important he is in in world football, and uh, with that, how important he is in Borussia Dortmund's ecosystem. And uh, having him out for this long of a stretch really does annoy me. It, it, to me, it's really vexing that this happened. And uh, I don't know who the commentator was for this game, but I uh, I think he said that uh, his. Uh, uh, injuries the the one he previously had where I think he got a knock by Mats Hummels and uh, the uh, abductor or hip flex or whatever it's called uh, the muscle injury he has suffered now uh, yeah is is somehow connected and uh, yeah I'm I'm very annoyed I I don't know how you s- see that situation I wanted to actually get the the um <laughs> back on. Uh, raving about uh, Hummels' goal in Bellingham, but uh, I feel like this Haaland subject uh, got the the best of me. But so what? what's your opinion on that before we move back to the praising? Well, I think uh, you're correct in your assessment. I mean, Erling Haaland is a very young player. He is reckless, not in a, a negative sense. The way he plays... At 100%, all the time, always very, very driven, highly professional, also in his training, um, it naturally lends itself to probably more injuries. I mean, Lewandowski, when he was young, had more injury issues than he does as an older player, which is a very interesting phenomenon if you think about it. I mean, the problem and and why I'm not going to come down too hard on um, Marco Rosa on this is because we've been now saying for two seasons at the minimum that Dortmund need a quality backup striker. And paint me as the bad cop here. It's fine. You can. No, 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 no. I, I mean. To say, I know, you know, Marco Rosa, we're all going back to the Mainz game where he said, well, he kept him in there uh, because of set pieces. Well, if that's the case, shuffle your lineup around a little bit and bring in a big bodied central midfielder or defender in that case. I mean, that you can you can do the same thing by taking him off at a point in time when Dortmund had won the match. So you just go to shutdown mode. And then that problem wouldn't have presented itself. Be that as it may, I think Dortmund <laughs> still I like how need to look. I'm not going to blame Marco Rosa, but here's how but I could I'm have gonna, done better. <laughs> yes, I know. I know, I know. I, well, again, I think I can see kind of both. Because the problem you also have is... Who are you going to put on instead of, hold on, Stefan Tigges? Of course I mean, it's a problem. Of course there is shortage. But know. nevertheless, you need to handle the resources you have at your disposal still with some care. You know, people are already, you know, looking you know, through their fingers what happens to Jude Bellingham next because he is playing every freaking minute. And obviously that's enjoyable and he's hugely important as these two games alone 
showed how good he is, but nevertheless, the kid needs some rest as well. You know, if he has a torn muscle fiber and is out for weeks, on top of all the other injuries we now already have, it's going to be catastrophic for Dortmund. So please give him some rest somehow. And the cup match, for example, would have been a nice opportunity. No, I, I agree. I mean, what do you do if you if you rest Bellingham? You put Chan in that box-to-box role. He's also a box-to-box player. Is he as dynamic as Bellingham in a playmaker sense? No, but I'd, I'd play Chan there. Obviously, you need Dahoud to come back. I mean, there are a few few other uh, moving parts in that that type of uh, scenario. Again, I'm, I miss Thomas Delaney. Um, <laughs> but in terms of a striker, I think now... Don't one really need to look at someone to bring in in the winter? Tigges is not it. Uh, he proved that again against Ingolstadt, where he can't score against them. He was a little unlucky. Um, he could have actually should have scored. But, you know, I mean, he's a third division striker. At, at best in his career, he's a second division striker. Uh, Mukoko, again, very young. He's already been injured a well, few times now. Yeah. <laughs> And and he's not a Holland replacement. He's a completely different type of player. And you're going to have to completely change how you play with him. So the question is, who do you bring in to be a backup to a 21-year-old superstar that you know when he's fit, you're not going to see a lot of time? That's always the problem. Uh, or you bring in someone in January and say, hey, listen, you're going to be behind Holland. He's probably going to leave after the season. So it's your job to win it for next season. I think that's something you could look at in January. Uh, there are a few names being floated right now for that. But I think that is a definite area that don't we need to look at to strengthen um, here in a couple of months uh, when we're looking at the winter break. So, but I agree with you. I mean, we're now we're at the point with Dalton where given the amount of injuries there's not a lot of rotational, you know, options that are really available to Marco Rosa. You look at all the injuries that are there in central midfield where we thought Dortmund were stacked. Well, now they're not. Fullback, where Dortmund technically have six players. Meunier, it was nice to see him back on the pitch against Ingolstadt. Um, I, I like Marius Wolf. I think he's actually playing really well as he a is. right wing back or full back or winger utility player. Cause you know, also play on the left Grant, When he plays on the left, he's more an inverted wing back than a true wing back. Cause he just constantly cuts inside. Cause he's right footed. It worked, but it works. It works. He's got the one thing about Marius Wolf is he understands his role as a role player in a very good team. He performs it well and he's pretty disciplined um, he gets given a job and he does it. And that's really what you want from someone like that. And um, unlike, say, Nico Schultz, uh, who I think is just, <laughs> aside from yeah, not Nico Schultz being is assigned a job a great, and what does he do? He tears yeah. his muscle. Well, he's, he's <laughs> not a great player. The problem is I think Nico Schultz is now also in that head game of he's down. And, and to get out of that headspace is really, really difficult. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's not going to be a lot of rotation for the next few weeks until more and more players come back. Again, the nice thing is Thomas Meunier is back, so you can plug him in at right back on the weekend now, and then Marius Wolf or Togan Azad on the left wing back position. Um, yes, you have Paslak that you could plug in if you needed to, but 
just don't. Please <laughs> don't. Let's just not do that. I'd rather see Akanji or Pongracic at a fullback position at this point. So, yeah, I think uh, Dortmund had two good matches now to build up the confidence in the current formation that Makarouz is forced to play ahead of a match that's going to be very, 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 very difficult. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it helps Dortmund, though. I, I like the change to the back five. And uh, I like that it uh, happened successfully. And obviously, um, you know, Bielefeld are a team that are 17th in the Bundesliga that uh, I think are still winless. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but we've seen it so many times that Dortmund then slip up, you know, away to Darmstadt or away to Paderborn. And uh, those have been one of the most frustrating losses in, in the Dortmund's history over the last, I don't know, four, five, six seasons where they just completely slipped up, where they were caught with their pants down. And uh, you could fear, especially coming off this loss, uh, you know, this this drubbing in Amsterdam and then uh, also, you know, having to travel away to Bielefeld that maybe they were not playing to their, you know, abilities. But I think uh, we, we can safely assume that at least the quote-unquote, mentality bullshit <laughs> is not coming up. And, uh, you know, that's reassuring because Dortmund are still in second place and uh, other teams in the Bundesliga have slipped up this uh, this weekend. And, uh, you know, if you look at the at the table now, um, obviously Dortmund are still this one vexing point behind Bayern Munich. Um, but then, uh, you know, you have Freiburg in third place and uh, I think it's already... Four points away from Leverkusen, then uh, five away from Union Berlin, and then it's uh, seven away from uh, RB Leipzig, and uh, even eight from VfL Wolfsburg, who were sort of the the competitors along Dortmund recently. So to me, that's that's really important, especially going into a very difficult period of the season where I assume Dortmund will uh, <laughs> drop some feathers, as we say in Germany. So um, with with that being said, Matthias, I, I think that Dortmund actually, at least if you look at Champions League qualification, are in a very good spot thanks to a win like against Arminia Bielefeld. And I think it's even just made sweeter by the fact that a Mats Hummels scored a worldie and Jude Bellingham turned into Leo Messi for, for a second there where everything slowed down and he's faking players out and then slotting it away. <laughs> and uh, yeah. What, what what can we even say about Jude Bellingham? Matthias, if you if you look at his performance against uh, Bielefeld and then uh, the absolute you know dominant performance and and being sort of the maestro uh, of the entire team and the best player out there in, against Ingolstadt. Well, I mean, the fact that he's still a teenager is still kind of freaky. Um... In the summer, it was always reported again and again, what he wants to improve is his finishing. I, I think he's improving his finishing. Uh, I think we could say that. And the question then remains is, how long do we get to enjoy him at Dortmund before the Premier League clubs Absolutely start knocking hard? I, as the huh? Yellow White Pod host, is, uh, <laughs> I'm not asking this question whatsoever. I'm just living in the here now. So you can yeah. do your stuff, but it's not the question. Yeah. No, I mean, he's he's exceptional. 
And, you know, I've heard some people say, well, it's 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 not a good sign if Dalton are relying so much on a teenager. Well, I mean, if you have a another generational talent, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, we're not. It's not like Dalton's relying on a teenager that no one has seen or heard of. I mean, Birmingham retired his number. They knew what he was, and so this is one of the best players in the Bundesliga and Europe right now. Age doesn't matter. Yeah, Holland he's a is one of teenager. the. Th- yeah, I mean it's like Holland. I mean Holland is extremely young, but one of the three best strikers in the world, um, without question. And so it doesn't matter. I mean, when Jaden Sancho was playing at Dortmund instead of sitting on the bench at Manchester United, uh, he was one of the best wingers in the world, um, even when he was younger. And so. Age just really doesn't matter. And uh, what what uh, Bellingham is showing is it, it's exceptional. It's absolutely exceptional. And all credit, uh, I know I kind of criticized Dortmund's uh, front office because of lack of a backup striker, but all credit to them for getting Jude Bellingham in um, at 17 and going, no, this kid is really going to be something when the majority of Dortmund fans never saw him play because they don't watch the championship Let alone and had no idea and no idea what he was going to be. A lot of hype, but that's about it. And it's, it's incredible. And he's only going to get better, which is really scary to say at this point. What do you make of the rumors that Domo might sign his younger brother who's 16 years old, Joe Bellingham? I mean, if it's for no other reason than to keep Jude Bellingham around for two, (laughs) three more seasons, go for it. I don't give a shit. If they do it, it would be kind of awesome. I think it... Given the the relationship that Jude Bellingham is building, building up within Dortmund, with the fan base, with the community, with the team, with the staff, I think his family is also seeing as this is a good place for a, their son or sons, in this case, to thrive, grow up, mature without the poisonous atmosphere of the English media landscape, specifically around football, the Premier League, and the young players. Because it's, it is especially poisonous. Especially if you're a, a player that, you know, player of color. You yes. Know, yeah. exactly, I mean, look uh, at Raheem nicer. Sterling. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not a Raheem Sterling fan, but the treatment of him, you know, I mean, it's... To say it's cringeworthy is, is an understatement, but the British media landscape has always been deeply toxic, deeply toxic. And Germany is just better. I'm sorry. It just is. I mean, don't, I mean, yes, we have built, but in, in England, you have 20 of those. Whereas in Germany, you have the built, and that's about it. And compared to the English tabloids, built is like, you know, FAZ, yeah. you know, in comparison. <laughs> also, Jörg Weiler so, is not on his A game in the, in the very no. long time. So, no, no, no. And so it's it's a perfect environment to grow up, mature, and become a really good player. And I'm sure Jude Bellingham is looking at Jaden Sancho 
and what is happening at Manchester United. And given how mature he is and how mature his support network is proving to be so far, then I think that will give him pause and think about it when inevitably the offers will come pouring in this summer or next summer. Um, And if you bring in his younger brother, who I have no idea (laughs) if he's even capable of playing the sport. Okay. I have no clue, but that solidifies that social network around him in a country that is not his, but that he is making his home. I think it's huge. I, I, Go for it, man. I I don't. I think it it's only positive. You know what is crazy? Obviously, Jude Bellingham has a contract till twenty twenty five, and if you go on transfer market, uh, obviously the highest valued players, Erling Haaland, uh, transfer market values him at hundred fifty million. But second place is already Jude Bellingham at seventy million. You know, Giovanni is uh, uh, Giovanni. Giovanni Reina is uh, third with uh, 42 million. Then you have Rafael Guerrero with 40 million, and Akanji and Marlon at uh, 30 apiece, um, so on and so forth. But uh, that really uh, shows uh, how much you know value Dortmund have created with just the transfer of Haaland and, and Bellingham. Obviously. Uh, Dortmund is probably not going to get 150 million for Haaland due to uh, a buyout clause that is, uh, you know, rumored to be there and then rumored to not be there. I'm not entirely sure what's going on there exactly, but uh, yeah, um, I'm just really happy to uh, have Jude Bellingham at my club, and uh, I think every Dortmund fan shares this sentiment because you can, after the game, also after uh, the cup match, you you hear the fans. Uh, you know, when they are done sort of celebrating in front of the stand, you can still hear the Jude. And, uh, you know, it just gives me goosebumps because I feel like it's it's been a while since um, Dortmund fans as a collective have fallen in love with a player uh, like this. You know, also the hype for Haaland is, is really great, but I feel like the, the relationship between Bellingham and the fans is, is something special and it's only just starting to grow because, of course, they were removed from each other for so long and uh, you can see the yearning of these players to, to play in front of fans. So uh, in that regard, at least, it was a little bit sad that uh, only 25,000 people came to the game uh, against Ingolstadt. Um, but, uh, you know, I can understand that the the hype around football in general after the pandemic is uh, not, not what it was before and uh, even though Dortmund switched from 2G to 3G, as we've previously discussed here. Um, you know, it's it's not like uh, they are selling all the tickets all the time. So, um, you know, I, I guess Ingolstadt also is just not the biggest blockbuster. So, Matthias, since uh, there are not that many things to discuss um, for the Ingolstadt match, since it was pretty straightforward and Ingolstadt had like, what, 10% of possession or so, um, yes, we can talk about Ranier playing, we can talk about Tigges playing and uh, what uh, Ranier's dad said about uh, him doing so. But before we do that, or if we even do that, uh, Matthias, um, please, uh, can you fill in the blanks of what's happened uh, in Munich? Because I hear one team at least made it to another round. Also, I've heard KC have survived. Not sure what that happened there. And uh, of course, another Borussia 
uh, also in the third round of the cup. So, uh, Matthias, I've not really had the time to pay the most attention, so just tell me what happened. Well, Stefan, <laughs> um, <laughs> what happened <laughs> was... Uh, that Poison Munster unfortunately lost to Hatta BSC. I think that's that's definitely the headline there. Um, no, the uh, if if we look at things that transpired, it's a typical second round of the DFB Pokal, which is a round where a lot of favorites tend to get knocked out. Um, Dortmund's not a, historically hasn't done great. Uh, Bayern actually has lost in the second round quite often and against some very low opposition at times, Fastenbergs Reut, which is now Kreuterfurt essentially uh, as one. But if we just look at it, um, I'm, you know, uh, Schalke got knocked out by third division side 1860 München. So there is a Munich club in the next round of the DFB Pokal, but it is not Bayern. Huh. Uh, because Bayern... Well, see, what happened was uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach completely and utterly destroyed Bayern. Um, destroyed, you said, like curb stomped like, or like, liberated? Like, like, f- <laughs> like five, five nil. <laughs> and not only was that not flattering, uh, Gladbach probably could have scored a couple more. Uh, they were... The better side, Bayern seemed flat. Defensively, they were e- so easily taken apart. Uh, I don't even remember. I can't even think of a game where Dortmund, where sorry, where Bayern were that easily pulled apart. Um, because it was it was quite quite shocking uh, at times. Uh, so yeah, Gladbach is through. I mean, if we look at the teams that got knocked out, of course, uh, another one to mention is Bayer Leverkusen, who are now in free fall. Uh, they they are they are in a bad state. They lost to second Bundesliga side Karlsruhe SC. Well, but in well, fairness to Leverkusen, they had a home disadvantage. Mm-hmm. They had home disadvantage, yeah. Uh, Karlsruhe SC, who once was the Talentschmiede of the Bundesliga, uh, or of Bayern, if you want to uh, say that specifically in the 90s. Who came from them? Oliver Kahn is the only one Oliver I can Kahn uh, is one Michael Sternkopf. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, came came from there. A few, few, <laughs> a few A few other uh, Karlsruhe players, but obviously Oliver Kahn would be the, the biggest name out of there. But if we look at the clubs that are still in the tournament, uh, RB Leipzig are in barely. They squeaked past uh, fourth division side SV Babelsberg 1 0. Um, and so, yeah, yeah I mean, Leipzig already Freiburg, had like a struggle half against Grotha Fürth on the weekend. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, again, I mean, no team, a lot of teams weren't that comfortable. I mean, Freiburg needed penalties to get past Osnabrück. Uh, HSV, okay, whatever. They're they're not a relevant club. Uh, Mainz <laughs> they're relevant needed, to me. They're just not good. <laughs> <laughs> Mainz needed uh, extra time against Arminia Bielefeld, which is actually a, was a, a good match. Union Berlin needed extra time to get past Mannheim. Uh, Bochum in penalties got past Augsburg. Augsburg are also in free fall right now. 
Um, so yeah, it was a, an interesting week of matches. Some good, some bad for some clubs. Very good for Dortmund's next opponent, opponent Köln, who handled Stuttgart quite well, uh, 2-0, and are also in the next round. But uh, no Bayern, and no Schalke, no and no Leverkusen no Wolfsburg. in the next round. Of course, there's no Wolfsburg, because Mark van Bommel, of course, uh, did six substitutions in the first round against Preussen Münster. <laughs> Preussen then moved on. Wolfsburg has moved on from van Bommel in the yeah, meantime. They have substituted him for Florian for Kohfeldt. Florian Kohfeldt. How, how do you, how do you uh, see this uh, yeah. shrewd business by... I, uh, I I think Schmatka is going to be looking for another manager before the end of the season. <laughs> um, no disrespect to Florian Kofeld. Obviously, that is leading up to disrespecting him massively. <laughs> but uh, I don't blame him for Werder Bremen getting relegated. The problems at Bremen go beyond Florian Kofeld. I yeah, I remember when everyone the front office had hired Florian Kofeld. <laughs> yes, I, I think. <laughs> I remember when people were bigging up Kofeld. It's like, oh, he'll be the next Dortmund coach. I'm like, oh, God, no. No, 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 no. No, I mean, he's he's a good coach um, for a team in the lower third of the Bundesliga, maybe. I, I'm not high on Florian Kofeld. I think Wolfsburg are now just going to keep sliding down. Uh, they've, got, they've got very good players, but obviously very good players doesn't save you from bad results and performances. And so, yeah, I think Wolfsburg, we don't have to worry about them challenging Dortmund or anybody in the top four again. Uh, I still, I kind of made the joke. I said, hey, you know, Glasnow will probably be available soon at Frankfurt. So maybe he can go back to Wolfsburg because that was probably the best marriage in many, many years. But you don't, you don't do Schmatke dirty and then get to come back. Uh, Jörg Schmatke is not a forgiving type of person. So, uh, Florian Kohfeldt, it is. I mean, of all the managers that were ma were mentioned, I was actually listening to a podcast. Uh, I think it was Football Football Weekly? I don't know. And uh, Rafa Honigstein was on there, and they talked about Wolfsburg, and he's like, oh, yeah, and third on the list, probably very little chance, Florian Kohfeldt. I mean, he's just kind of on that list. And uh, then I think it was like an hour later, it was announced. Well, Ekofeld is the new manager of well, football. Ma maybe, maybe that speaks to all the bridges that Jörg Schmacke has already burned. Yes. I mean, who's left? I mean, I know they talked about Domenico Tedesco. Oh, but, God. It would have know, been fun, too. I mean, they're defensively solid. I mean, they were already dire under Glasna. Uh, but with with Domenico Tedesco. Eesh. But either way, Florian Kofeld and now at Wolfsburg, so I don't have to worry about them. But overall, the DFB Pokal I, is shaping up nicely for Dortmund because I think Leipzig, I mean, Leipzig on paper are the next best team in there, but uh, Leipzig are not playing that well under Jesse Marsh, which I kind of figured personally. Um, one, Jesse Marsh, I, yeah, a lot I of teams rate him without Julian Nagelsmann these days. Yeah, um, I don't rate Jesse Marsh as a super duper coach. I think he's the second best American coach in the Bundesliga. Um, but uh, you know, obviously they've lost a lot of key players and so on, and it's just they're in a total rebuild mode right now. Um, so I I don't see them as a a major hurdle for Dortmund. So right now, I'd say this. 
The DFB-Pokal is for Dortmund to lose at this point. When you look at favorites on paper, Dortmund are the favorites now to win the DFB-Pokal. So at least we got that, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, But I really must say, you you know, it's obviously a Dortmund podcast, but um, the way Adi Hütter is managing his team is really impressive to me because he has instilled a similar culture at Gladbach now that was always visible uh, at Frankfurt and something that Dortmund immensely struggled with. And obviously the one loss recently against Gladbach uh, speaks to this as well, is that Gladbach players now are just very brutal. You know, they are very... I don't know I don't know if I want to say reckless, but at least there is some cohesiveness It added with some, you know, force, if you will. They're, they play very powerful football... They press high and they follow through on their pressing. And if they do not get the ball, they will get the player. And, uh, you know, I kind of like it. I must say, I, I, I like watching it. And, uh, you know, when uh, it was time for Bayern to face Gladbach, I dropped everything else and then turned the TV on because I wanted to make sure to not miss something special. And, oh boy, uh, I think the way that Gladbach just pressed Bayern and then had this vertical play and uh, quick combinations. Um, I, I think it was, I don't know if you want to call it smash mouth football, but definitely, uh, you know, I think caught Bayern completely by surprise because Gladbach are a team they traditionally struggle with, but maybe uh, the DNA that Gladbach have right now is not something they had previously to to that regard so um you know I, i think Dortmund were a little bit surprised and overwhelmed by it and bayern definitely were and of course then gladbach uh, taking a healthy amount of their really good chances they had uh you know given that manuel neuer had a couple of uh, good saves in in between um yeah i i thought there was a, a really nice beatdown by gladbach and uh you know i I've I've read a lot of columns and I feel like the uh the the word I've heard the most is um hope that uh, you know Bayern are still beatable and maybe it was a good time for themselves to realize how breakable they are and uh, you know it was fun to see Bayern players struggle to explain this sort this sort of loss because you know we have seen Bayern Munich lose five to two in certain cup games and then in the post game interviews still uh pretend or 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 uh you know assert that they're the better team this time this was not the case um and uh yeah a lot of head scratching going around at Bayern and uh, yeah just kudos to Gladbach uh, of of playing this sort of way and uh, I don't know if you can say it delivers a blueprint to the Bundesliga because I'm not entirely sure how many other teams can do this to Bayern the way Gladbach did because I feel like Gladbach just have a really good squad that have just the, the right skill sets to to beat Bayern again and again. End of thought. I agree. All right. I agree. I mean, Adi, Adi Hütter might be, might be saving his job uh, because it was a little meh there for a little bit. I mean, they but did lose against Hertha first before beating Bayern. And, you know, it, it's, it's funny how... How this uh, Gladbach team can d- turn on a dime, and I mean their performance against Dortmund, albeit being a one win, it wasn't really you know lights out football either. That was a really hard game to watch. Don't get me wrong, but at least they have this fire in them, 
and uh, that can make up for a lot of stuff. And obviously, if you press high and if you win the ball the way you win, then you just have space to operate. And in Gladbach do have quality players. So um, would I say Adi Hütter is the most uh, layered tactical genius in the Bundesliga? Probably not. But uh, I, I do think that his coaching style does have some merit. And if he manages to have his players fired up and believe in, in what he's saying, I, I think that's a positive sign, you know? So kudos to him too. Yep, I agree. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> I feel like we have tiptoed a, a lot <laughs> around the upcoming game because uh, let's just say my my hopes aren't the, the highest right now. Obviously, uh Cologne are in eighth place in the Bundesliga. You know, they have a 3-4-2 record. They have 13 points to their name. And, uh, you know, it's uh, obviously uh, still winless on the roads and uh, they will visit Dortmund in Dortmund. So there's a tiny bit of hope, but nevertheless, I feel like Cologne have been one of the surprise teams this season under Steffen Baumgart. They have... Uh, changed dramatically for the better because Cologne last season really weren't all that. And right now they have only two losses to their name. One away to Bayern Munich where they lost 3-2 and was really close in the end. They might have uh, nicked the point there. And then this really weird, inexplic inexplicable, unexplainable 5 nothing loss away to Hoffenheim. Uh, it's a weird Friday night game. But other than that, they just had a two-all draw against Leverkusen in the uh, Rhein Derby, if you want to call it that, uh, where they would tune it down and then still rally back. And of course, uh, a very uh, confident 2 nil win against Stuttgart. So, um, yeah, what are you making of this Cologne side who uh, right now are not really exactly afraid of anybody? I mean, they've so far played Hertha, they played Bochum, Freiburg. A one-one draw against Freiburg, I think, is formidable considering how Freiburg are playing. And a one-all draw against Frankfurt, a win against Fürth. So did they have the best of the best opponents uh, apart from Bayern yet? Maybe, I don't know. It's it's really mixed and I, I feel like they've been doing okay against a whole uh, array of different teams except Hoffenheim. So um, I like Steffen Baumgart. Obviously Paderborn... Under Stefan Baumgart, um, provided a few headaches for teams. <laughs> Weren't you pitching him as three, a Dortmund coach at some point? All. Um, I mean, his style kind of fits to that club mantra of the past. He's it's a little it's a little too much at times. Uh, if if you look at the beginning against Leverkusen, Leverkusen just marched through Köln uh, defensively. Köln were non-existent. They threw everything forward and just left gaps open that Leverkusen so easily exploited that at that point I thought Leverkusen were gonna, you know, blow them away by five, six goals because uh Köln were playing so naively defensively. And obviously that is a hallmark of what Parabon did as well. Uh, you know, they would they would press high, they'd be aggressive, they'd be in your face, but then they would just leave these huge gaps defensively. And teams could just tear right through them. I mean, Dortmund tore through them a few times. But the big difference is Baumgart recognized the issues, made some adjustments, and then Leverkusen just kind of, I don't know, took the foot off the gas. Um, I, they, they, they just... Leverkusen, it's like Leverkusen. Leverkusen. 
Yeah, they Leverkusened a little bit, and then uh, Köln just played really, really well. And at the end of the day, you could probably say Köln probably deserved beating Leverkusen, but the way they started the first 20 minutes, yeah, probably not, all in all, if you look at the full 90, because you can't play that naively and expect to win. Um, so I expect this to be a very difficult game, because Dortmund had hard times against Markus Gistol's Köln. Now, I'm going to say this is Paderborn with better players. And that is true. It's a significantly better squad than what uh, Baumgart had at Paderborn. Well, thankfully, that Dortmund never said, lost to Paderborn. So. Yes, and, and that's the thing. Where Dortmund thrive is if, if they can lock down defensively and just, just mitigate build-up errors, which I know is a problem. Yeah. <laughs> At times, uh, <laughs> if they if somebody steps on their toes, like at times, luckily only at times where Dortmund are playing. Yeah, yeah. No, well, no I mean, look at times. what Freiburg did initially. You know, Freiburg ceded possession, but became very difficult for Dortmund and broke down Dortmund's build-up play early on and got a deserved victory. Ajax did the same thing, um, and. Baumgart's Köln will do the same thing. That is a guarantee. He's not going to sit back, low block like Gistoy, and just wear Dortmund's patience then. He's going to come after them in their face. And if Dortmund can play around that press, they can probably tear Köln apart. If they can't, um, Twitter's not going to be a fun place. Uh, let's put it that way. Uh, this is, I think, a good coach with a decent side with an Anthony Modest right now who is hot, who is scoring, and they are coming with confidence into this game. Uh, I think Dortmund is too. It's not like Dortmund... If this was right after Ajax, big problem. Two victories in a row where Dortmund were dominant I th- and and now have gotten that that back 3-5, kind of played in a little bit more. They They understand... Uh, what they need to do. I think the timing's a little bit better uh, for Dortmund. But again, this is going to be a very difficult match. I'm going to see it. It's going to be an open match, I believe. And I see a lot of goals. And hopefully Dortmund just score more of them than Köln. Right. Well, I can maybe just come up with my scoreline prediction right away. I think there's going to be a three-all draw. I don't think that Dortmund will uh, leave this field as winners, and I will hope that I'm wrong about this. But I think that A, Cologne playing the way they are, pressing Dortmund high, is going to be a major problem because I think that Dortmund are still struggling way too much with this kind of opponent for uh, the stage of their development where they're in. I think that switching the system to a back three slash back five mitigates that a little bit. I agree with you, but nevertheless, I feel like Dortmund will will struggle from the get-go in this game if uh, Cologne do play that, because I think Dortmund um, have made it a habit again where they need to find into a game. Obviously, there was this uh, cracker, uh, was it against Mainz, where Marco Roy scored immediately in the third minute or so, but uh, usually Dortmund need at least a good 20 minutes to really find themselves into a match, and I don't think that Cologne will uh, just allow that to happen without consequence. So I actually expect Cologne to to score uh, very early in the game. And um, 
the problem is you mentioned Anthony Modest. I think he's a bad matchup uh, as is for Dortmund because he is a very smart player. He knows how to use his body well and uh, he's a really good finisher. And Cologne have uh, showed time and time again, uh, you know, I've, I've watched him against Leipzig, for example. They are very good in transition and, uh, you know, if they win the ball in the opponent's half uh, they usually have a very good idea of uh, how to transition and and uh, create good chances with it so um, this is a game I'm quite scared of and the last time I said I was scared of a game was before Ajax so uh, that didn't bode too well either and of course the other guy who I am not looking forward to at all is Mark Uth uh, former Schalke player and just loves to score against Dortmund somehow uh, so yeah, it's I don't I don't know if you would ask Cologne fans about this game, they are probably terrified and they uh, for some reason don't have the confidence uh, that that's maybe deserved uh, for for this team. So I I know they are very pessimistic and they've uh, gone through a lot of hurt. But um, you know I really like this Cologne team. I think Jonas Hector is playing a really good season as as a team captain. And uh, I think Florian Kainz is doing extremely well. I think Andre Duda is a good player who's playing much better than he was doing at uh, Hertha. So um, if if I'm honest here, I, I think this is a formidable mid-table team um, that's smelling blood right now. And uh, the other problem is also Cologne right now. I don't think they know when they're really beat. Um, except for this uh, shellacking in, in in Hoffenheim, if the game is close, if they're down by a goal or two or three, I don't really know. Uh, they will just you know give up and, and give in, so to, so so to speak. So um, Dortmund will need to be on their toes for the full ninety minutes, and I'm not entirely confident they can do that because of the injury malaise and you know maybe some tired legs here and there. So this is going to be a really interesting one. I think positive is that Gregor Kobel will be available. You know, he was rested in the cup game. I think it was uh, uh, predetermined that Marvin Hitz was going to play this game no matter what. Um, but, you know, seeing him go down uh, in, in Bielefeld obviously wasn't fun uh, at halftime and you would worry a little bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think this Cologne team will, uh, find many ways to score against Dortmund. There's obviously one big, uh, positive for Dortmund is that there's no Marius Wolf for Cologne to flick on, uh, set pieces to the back post this time. So, uh, Cologne will have to find someone else to do that. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a really difficult game. And if Dortmund somehow get away with three points there, I will be the happiest guy this weekend because I'm really not expecting it. You know, even though even though Dortmund are still unbeaten at home, um, I don't know. I'm my, my confidence is not as high as maybe can be or should be. I I know there are a lot of uh, listeners right now rolling their eyes and thinking, Jesus Christ, <laughs> Dortmund are still the second uh, best team in the Bundesliga right now, and even with all the injuries, they should be uh, capable of beating Cologne. Uh, in general, I agree with this sentiment, but just in terms of timing, uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not quite sure. I feel like there's more momentum still on on that Cologne side. Anything to add, Matthias? Um. Yes, I think the key thing for Dortmund is going to be in the attacking side, the scoring of goals. 
Uh, I think if Erling Holland was in the side, Dortmund would blow Köln away. I, I have full confidence in that. Um, without him in the side, what we really need to see is Daniel Malen scoring goals. That really needs to start happening more now. Um, I'm going to agree with you in the number of goals scored. Uh-huh. I think six. 42? Uh, yeah, my gut. I, I'm Five going to, to go more optimistically and say Dortmund are going to win 4-2. I do agree that Köln are going to score first. Um, and I think Daniel Malen is going to score two of the four Dortmund goals. Uh, just because if Dortmund continue doing what Leverkusen did in the first 20 minutes against Köln and the counterattacking prowess of Dortmund with or without uh, Erling Holland is there. The pace, the creativity, all that is there. I think Daniel Malen will be through on Timo Hahn more than once, more than twice, but it'll take him a few shots to, to score. So, um, I, I think uh, Dortmund will win this one 4-2. I think it's going to be a very exciting game. It's going to be a game that I am not going to enjoy watching <laughs> because it'll be too exciting. Uh, sometimes I just like boring games, but I like Köln. I like the club. Uh, I like the city. So, I mean, it, it's one of those games I, I kind of always look forward to um because i like i said i have a lot of sympathies it's for sdf bundesliga matchup it just is it is it is it's a it's a nice classic bundesliga matchup and so yeah i think it'll be entertaining and exciting for the neutrals i think people are going to lose their shit on bvb twitter as they always do cuz somehow people expect if dortmund's not beating everybody by 6 goals then dortmund sucks which they don't it's a very good team um but uh, don't underestimate stefan baumgarten sf Köln. but i do i saw what happened in the beginning with leverkusen and as long as dortmund don't do leverkusen i think they'll win this one uh but i do believe Köln will score all right yeah i i should add that uh Kainz and Sichos are both doubtful with the flu. Um, so if if they're out, then it's probably going to be Mireo and, and Duda, according to Kicker, uh, who will then play in their stead. But otherwise, I don't think they have any major injury. I know Skiri is out with the uh, fracture, but otherwise, uh, in terms of you know their most prominent names, they don't really have too many injury worries, to be honest. So, um, yeah. Of course, it's good news that uh, Hazard is back. It's also good news that uh, Munier is back, who would have thought that we'd say this at some point. But uh, yeah, uh, I don't know if uh, if Dahoud will be available yet. I don't know how long uh, it'll take. I think the press conference is tomorrow. So we'll, I guess, learn more then. And uh, yeah, what else? Uh, yeah, I, I really would like to know what the ETA is on Gio Reyna's return. I don't think it's going to be anytime soon, but, you know, it's uh, it's it's crazy how many players Dortmund have actually been missing and how much better this team would be. You know, just imagine this team with every player available throughout an entire season and, and, and fitness. We'd be talking about probably a title race right now and uh, not sort of uh, settling on Champions League qualification. I mean... Of course, right now, if you look at the table, you're only one point off the lead, but I'm I'm not really feeling it. So, um, 
there's that. Maybe maybe as the season will progress, but I feel like there are a, a lot of of difficult games upcoming now for Dortmund, and uh, the fact that they don't have Haaland at their disposal is uh, going to be uh, crucial in the very negative sense. I mean, if you just look at the schedule, you know, we play Cologne, then we play against Ajax again, then Leipzig, Stuttgart, then Sporting, then Wolfsburg, and then Bayern. Uh, then Besiktas again, and uh, before the end of the year, then you have a little stint against Bochum, Fürth, and Hertha. You should win. Then Frankfurt, who you know could could have recovered since, you know, and uh, yeah, I I think I think for the Frankfurt game, Haaland should be back though after the uh, very short winter break. I'm just seeing. So um, yeah, uh, this this is going to be a very difficult stretch, especially like the. Uh, the the next games after the Cologne game, you know, hosting Ajax will not be easy, and uh, yeah, Leipzig right now limping, but uh, yeah, Stuttgart also have found ways to to harm Dortmund and uh, Sporting away, surely not easy, and uh, who knows what Florian Kofeld will do with VfL Wolfsburg, and I'm sure the game uh, in Munich, uh, or no, I think we're actually hosting Bayern, uh, won't be an easy one either. So um, if we still have a title race to talk about. By the end of this Hinrunde, then I'll gladly oblige, but uh, until then, I'll stay rather reserved. Anywho, Matthias, I think that's really a wrap now, uh, unless you have anything final to say. If not, please tell our listeners where to follow you on the interwebs. Uh, no, I think that pretty much wraps it up. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MatthiasUk. Very well, you can find me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. You can follow all of us at YellowWarPod on Twitter and Facebook. If you want to subscribe to the show, please do that via YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, etc. If you want to contribute financially and help us with uh, Christmas presents or whatnot, <laughs> go to patreon.com slash the yellow wall. And uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's all I have to say for now. Uh, as always, thank you for listening. And good. Luck.